podcasts that we've watched. Oh, they all have to wear news gowns like me in the movie. Matthew, Matthew, are you ready to do the news? Oh, indeed. Hello, I am the queen of news. We all have to talk like this. Like we are now the fancy queens of all news. Get this all out now because this won't get stale at all. Oh, no, Sean. So our discussion of being the queen of the news will be quite a joke. It's a movie about the post. I published the story the White House didn't want. Hey, news. (laughs) Don't make it bad. Take Ellsberg's papers and make them better. Oh, hello there. Listeners, you've been been listening to the news. Our news. Welcome yeah, yeah. to the news dome. But, you know, <laughs> but we uh, not we've not been creating the news. We've been watching the news. We've just all seen Steven Spielberg's The Post, and uh, we're here to talk about it. We're here oh, to talk about God. some god dang news. All right. So before we get into it, before we get into no, no. Before we get into before we get into that, we have to say here's some breaking news for you, the listener. Maybe you've hint taken a hint of it already. Brendan is back in the back in the saddle again hey, to do hey, the news. We got a we got a guest starring appearance we've by our a, old we've boy. We've got a, a source on deep background. Our old yeah. deep beige, hey, everybody. Brendan James. Brendan, Brendan actually lives in a printing press. Yeah, how? Yeah, he, he's, <laughs> oh, buddy. The cat oh, is uh, is a new aspect of recording that's kind of fun. He eats, drinks, and shits news, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I used to be a newsman, so I'm sort of an expert. He was a yeah, news exactly. cannon, spraying yeah. news all over the place. Did you, uh, did you wear a news cloak? Like I, uh, I wore a cape. I used all my paychecks to buy silkier and silkier news capes. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> Normally, that 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 sort of flowing thing she was wearing would be the news gown. No, it'd be a moo moo, but it's a it's, it's a, a new it's a new news yes. gown. It's a yeah. News gown yeah. for news ladies. We, so, um, I do want to say Catherine Graham in this movie. That's what when we talk played about by Meryl Streep, her, Meryl soon Streep. to be Academy Award winning performance, um, Queen Meryl. That's what Donald Trump should have been like as a guy. <laughs> he should. That's when we say the news bitch. That was going to be him. He was going to wear a, a a very loose fitting news garment and just <laughs> have phone calls of people and go. Oh, I will send somebody to that wedding. But instead, he has to be president. Yeah, it's so annoying that no, he couldn't have made that deal for him before he ran. Just say, Donald, forget this president thing. We will, sh- we shall crown you queen of news. Yeah, <laughs> he would take that deal in a heartbeat. Yes, there is a there is a scene uh, late late in this movie where uh, Catherine Graham makes the decision single handedly, like against against the pressure of all the the, sort the of investors suits, and the, the suits boys. and then the men in the room. To go ahead and publish their big scoop on the Pentagon Papers, and she goes, uh, "That's it. My decision stands. I'm going to bed." And then uh, we were just imagining she went up to her bed, and like her bed is just a giant newspaper, <laughs> yeah. and she just pulls a giant front page up to her nose and puts on like a, a news sleeping, cap, yeah. a news yeah. cap, yeah. and just goes to bed. Visions of news plums floating in her head. Oh, I'm 
counting the cover stories as I go to bed. <laughs> I counted those new sheep. But, uh, this I'm, just in four sheep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, we've done. I, I feel like, uh, like I said, hello, newsroom, my old friend. I, we, we've done episodes on the West Wing and the newsroom and like a certain kind of movie. Or entertainment product. A self-suck. Yeah, that that sort of reflects back to the audience a kind of glorified vision of uh, the media and and news in particular as this kind of sacred uh, thing in our culture. Don't run, humans. We're your friends. (laughs) We're not trying to just dissolve you in the acid of capitalism. We're on your side. You know, Matt, you the Matt, truth. Get, the, get, get all that mid-Atlantic accent out now. You know, having seen these, horrible, you're not going to suppress my news. You know, seeing these sort of like stewed tomatoes, these miscarriages of news productions that we've seen, so many of them, and now this, the worst one. This like, was least, really bad. At least newsroom. It like uh, the whatever fucking way that they told. Uh, what's his name? The Law and Order guy. With Sam, Sam Waterston. Whatever got way they told him to talk was funny. Yeah. And, died and, and like and their yeah, swears yeah, and yeah, wacky mix them up. They have sex. It has yeah. a variety of things yeah. happening. There's, it's ra- not there's racism. Yes. Yeah. This but, was but, a gray slog. Yeah. Yeah. Just Hold on a, a slog. Just, so this is Steven Spielberg's The Post. I just want to go around in a circle now. Just, you know, very quickly, what did we all think of the movie? Matt, start. I've given it one out of five news. <laughs> Felix, um, the famous ISIS video where they put a GoPro on the guy, <laughs> okay. he, get, he gets shot and dies, and it plays a nasheed over it. Had more likable characters, suspense, and uh, comic relief than this entire fucking piece of shit. Okay, Brendan, shit, awful, most boring thing I've seen in in, in years for real. I found it rather dry. Virgil, oh god, nineteen seventy one, America <laughs> is bleeding in Indochina. <laughs> Our greatest import is flag-draped coffins. Nixon is expanding the war to more and more countries. And more and more voters are asking themselves, why are we there? In the last decade, a brave young man named Robert McNamara wrote a report. He called the Pentagon paper. He put that report in Ayn Rand's Institute for safekeeping. Until another brave man, Daniel Ellsberg, discovered it and sent it to the newspapers. This was the story of an editor of two sketch comedians (laughs) who, at great personal risk, published those papers in the Washington Post. It's the story of a wealthy dowager who turned a backwater society paper into... A national publication. I give it four stars. Wow. Out of? Five. There were some questionable decisions. Maybe I'd take off half a star for that. But it told an important story about a vital moment, not just in the history of the free press, but in the history of this country. You know, it may have changed my opinion about free press, actually. It may have made me wish that we were similar to uh, China. And that halfway through the movie, the 101st Airborne Division burst through the doors of the Washington Post and murdered everyone yeah. inside. If somebody had mailed a bullet, a, a, a bill for the bullet that shot Catherine Graham to her daughter at the end, that would have been pretty funny. Here's the thing, though, is that as we mentioned when we paused for a little snack in the middle of it, there was, I mean, there's no shortage of movies that can make this kind of stuff 
engaging and compelling. Absolutely. And Zodiac is one uh, someone mentioned. It's Spotlight, I just like I years did. ago. I did. Yeah, okay. So you said Zodiac. I haven't seen Spotlight, but Zodiac made... Spotlight is very, very compelling. Well, yeah. un- well, Using okay, sorry, the, wait, basically just, the same material. Sorry, to disagree slightly, Spotlight was maybe a better movie that treated... Like the like the the sort of nitty gritty of journalism in a more entertaining cinematic way. Mm-hmm. However, unlike this movie, which is about the Pentagon Papers, which was a real story, the Spotlight <laughs> movie was about a phony, yeah. fake news, Trump just trumped up yeah. conspiracy right. theory, hate, spe- hate speech yeah. film against yeah, Catholics. Yeah, it was, it was big, that movie was anti-Catholic bigotry. <laughs> I didn't agree all with know its it. message, but yeah. I liked its execution. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like it was, I, I think more entertaining. Yeah, yeah. This, this, this was so dry. And so, and I just just to get the immediate gripes with it off 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 my chest is it was slow pacing, terrible pacing. There's no oh, there's no God. catalyst till like forty five minutes in, really. Yeah, all these long ass conversations uh, between old people about the IPO <laughs> it's of the serious, Washington. They're literally Post. reading off the bank's report on the IPO, and like no, verbatim. And, and there's no kind of like, you know, tricks and storytelling that get you that, that get you the gist of all that. Because, yeah. you know, it's important to a degree. They just make you sit through yeah. literal meetings. Yeah. The, there were a couple scenes with Bob Odenkirk, who was, who was good, and uh, that's it. Tom it Hanks is so fucking good. perverse to yeah. spend the first two scenes of this movie in, literally, this movie starts in Vietnam. Yeah. Although the first thing you hear is fucking Credence, which is the most on-the-nose Lame ass, no effort, fucking soundtrack choice for a fucking Vietnam thing. But anyway, so it starts in Vietnam and it shows Ellsberg sneaking out with the Pentagon Papers, and then the movie grinds to a halt for half an hour to talk about. And the only stakes for that half hour are what's the what's the offering price going to be for the IPO of the Washington Post, which we're supposed to think cares because it means that'll pay, that'll buy 25 reporters, assuming of course that profits were pushed back into the company instead of vultured up by the owners, but whatever. That's the only stakes. They were, if you look at the silk news gown she's wearing later on, they didn't hire the reporters. But like, those are the stakes. It's rooting for the Washington Post, and then it's rooting for the Washington Post to break the story before the New York Times does. Why would I care which paper got the scoop? Yep. That is meaningless to me as a citizen wanting the information to inform the, my yeah. dis- beliefs about the Vietnam War. And also, like, if it, you can either ride on a really strong script with great dialogue and stay in those rooms with the meetings if you have great dialogue, which it doesn't, or just take the cheap way out and show some cool Vietnam shit happening while they talk about that stuff that they're reporting. Give some stakes. They did neither. Your, Give some stakes. Your, just to be clear, your issue with the Post was that it was about the Washington Post. No, it, it was is, about the fucking stupid news monarch. Who owns the Washington Post versus right. the other news exactly. monarchs? So your issue is going to the br- film going was about their fucking rich news asshole brunch and going, oh, what if I publish it first? Oh, I want yeah, to because it first. because who fucking yeah. cares? Okay. The point okay. of making this movie is to is to in the age of Trump confirm the importance and necessity of a free press. Yeah. What that those principles of a free press are totally independent of the personal. Uh, well-being of Catherine Graham's stewardship of the Washington Post. That is secondary to the questions of the free speech wanna, that is supposed to make this movie an important story. You're focusing on something that is ancillary and alienating because you're really just rooting for a rich lady to get slightly richer. I want. I want to. I want to. You're rooting for the Post as an institution why? to develop. Yeah, into why? What it developed. Well, the specific and individual necessity of the of the Washington Post is never established. So the stakes for half the movie, which are the solidity and the, the reputation, basically, of the Washington Post are never established as meaningful. Let me ask you this. Why would you care about a poor kid's summer camp that stands to lose 
uh, the annual games against a rich kid summer camp. That is a horribly reductive take of another Spielberg film from <laughs> no, Schindler's it's List. <laughs> <laughs> it's about so much more than that. God damn it. Fuck. God damn it. Okay. I, I, we're going to do a big debate about uh, Freedom of the Press or the validity of this film in general. I'd just like to, to, to revisit now walk through the listeners who maybe haven't seen this movie and would like us to, to relay to them what happens in it and maybe uh, inform them about a little bit of history of the Pentagon Papers and the Nixon administration all the way back to the Kennedys and American involvement in Vietnam. German. There's a boy born in Yorba Linda, California. No one's ever been fair to him, ever. And he wins. And he's right, and he does what he has to do. As, uh, as Matt explains, the movie... The first thing you hear before you even see anything is the strains of the Creedence Clearwater revival. Better run know through the jungle. That it, no, it's not World War II. You're not. You're not listening to to jazz music or show tunes. Yeah, Steven Spielberg's favorite it's war, Vietnam, the war with the best soundtrack, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And as we said, it's Ellsberg, played by Matthew Rees, yes. who you may know from a little show called The Americans. He's playing. He's playing another traitor. He's playing another traitor and spy yeah. in this movie, yeah. Daniel Ellsberg. So it begins in Vietnam, and uh, he's going out on patrol, and he's putting on blackface like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, the, the beginning is very problematic. Yeah, there. Everyone in his unit is doing Robert Downey Jr.'s character from Tropic Thunder. Yep. That's actually what the Vietnam, the Pentagon Papers were about. It was like these soldiers. They're coming home in body bags because of the poison and shoe polish. We have to stop doing this. They're all trying to impress Anne Margaret with their L. Jolson routine. I'm just glad that Steven Spielberg didn't try to varnish history, that he showed it as it was. You know, you got to teach the controversy. Yeah, he didn't put walkie-talkies in their hands instead uh, of guns. (laughs) (laughs) I I gotta say, the way the American soldiers were doing in that scene, they might as well have just been holding walkie-talkies. They go go out in the jungle and they get owned. They have... Not a single medic class. They're doing no revives. Exactly. <laughs> the the bitch ass squad leader calls in artillery like thirty seconds into the match. It's like you only get so many of those. And nobody, there's no teamwork either. Nobody's on voice chat. Nobody's nobody's trying to buff someone else. If me and Virgil were there, I don't even think that report would have need to be have written. So it begins with um like one of the a, a failed raid. You know, in Vietnam, and no loot crates. <laughs> no one's getting any loot crates, buddy. No one got any, what, what, any, I, I any got, legendary gear. No victory poses. Yeah, no, none of that shit. Virgil, one question: Who who would Ho Chi Minh main? Ho Chi Minh. Yeah, who would he main? I'm going to say Zarya. Okay. Well, <laughs> Westmoreland would obviously be McCree, right? I would guess so. I mean, yeah. is Westmoreland a cowboy type? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? I would think Soldier 76, right? For for Westmoreland? Well, it depends. I mean, like Curtis LeMay is uh, Soldier 76. Okay, okay. I, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Before we get uh, you know too further down this uh, rabbit hole of uh, casting the Vietnam War and uh, Overwatch characters. Oh, okay. yeah. I don't even play it. I just yeah. know about them because of Virgil. I do, too. Yeah, no, it's totally I've never played it. I know all of them. I've never played it either. I know, I know that I'm Wilson. That's that's my, my character that I would be. Yes, you're Wilson. And yes. that the hottest one is Mercy. 
Verzul said that I was Mercy one time. Ooh. Ooh no, wow. I said you were Zenyatta. That's even... Oh, God. Is that one of those lame healer characters? It's not lame. <laughs> <laughs> okay, back to, back to the Vietnam War. Back to reality, not yeah. this, not this. Back family. to the more less cool war, yeah, yeah, the Overwatch yeah, exactly. war. So Ellsberg uh, goes on a nighttime raid, gets owned, uh, gets back, and then like he's on, he's on. He's Air- in the chat complaining about it. He's on Air Force One, and like they're coming back, and uh, Robert McNamara is up in the cabin. Robert McNamara, played by Bruce Greenwood, mm-hmm. and uh, they bring uh, Ellsberg into like the head of the cabin, and they're like, "What's your, you know, you've been on the ground, you've been in the field, like, you know, what, what's the real dope, like, you know." Uh, we we they say it's getting better, but my report says it's getting worse. And Ellsberg says it seems like it's pretty much the same. And this is supposed to take place in like 1965 or whatever. Mm. And McNamara says, "Damn it! I like I knew it's true. The same. If things are the same, that means they're really worse." And then they land and they get off the plane and uh, they're greeted by the media. And McNamara says immediately, uh, we've got, you know, good news to report from Vietnam. I was very happy with the progress. And like Ellsberg hears this as he gets off the plane. Yeah, he's very disillusioned. And he's like, what? How could the Secretary of Defense lie to the American people? And then like, and then from there, goes to the job in his his day job in the Rand Corporation, opens that file cabinet, takes Mm -hmm. out the Mm -hmm. secret study that was commissioned by the Department of Defense. Why did you steal my study? <laughs> uh, leaves with his briefcase, Xerox is the whole thing. Then it jumps ahead, as we said. To- oh, you forgot the best part is the two people that he works with. Oh, yeah. yeah. Josh Androsky was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, 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 they had a crazy Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. And- <laughs> they look like, uh, they look like, uh, 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 Flanders' parents. Yep. Like beatniks. Come on, man. We're going to get them Pentagon papers out of here. Yeah. Be square, man. I mean, like a cube. <laughs> uh, then it, it, it jumps ahead uh, to you know uh, the Catherine Graham and the Post and the paper for four and, and as screeches said, to a now, halt now, now, for and, seventeen hours and, like, of IPO movie, discussion. At this point, sort of like up until like they really get into like, are we going to publish this or not? The movie really has the feeling of like if Spielberg adapted. Uh, classic Krusty, where he talks to George Meany. <laughs> We're here to talk about collective bargaining agreements. Now, uh, Mr. Meany, is there a labor crisis in America? Uh, but not quite as good as that. And here's another thing that we were talking about. like Spielberg, as a director now, has this like very stock move that he does. His last three movies yes. are, have all been these very sort of interior-focused, like, dialogue-heavy, like, almost play-like films. Yes. Starting yeah. with Lincoln, yes. and then Bridges and they're all Spies. Hist- they're all, it's like a spinal column of great moments in American liberalism. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And in all three of the movies, I think, like, I, I, I think we all agree, I, I liked Lincoln pretty much. I like, that's my favorite I, I of those three. Pretty, I thought it was good. For sure. It it's good. like, for me, if you plot the three movies on a, on a chart, Lincoln starts pretty high, uh, Bridge of Spies is way lower, and then fucking Post is just in the gutter. Uh, but but like okay, so like they're all very interior focused, and like you know lights almost, coming through almost windows. That's the thing. He has this like stock move now as a director, where he shoots scenes with like the you know windows that are just like you know the sun is like four feet outside. Yep. Like they're just like bathed in light, just like 
you know, pouring through yeah. to illuminate these kind of like very sort of uh, what would otherwise be kind of drab yeah. uh, domestic scenes. And a lot of shots that last a long time, like movies very of old. camera. Static shot, which which a lot of people are bringing back, and that's something that can shake you loose from And the, I like it. Yeah, no. I usually, feel like you can totally get into a, a rut with, with yeah. dialogue scenes where you just cut from the one shot to the other one. Yeah, with montage. It's, but, it's but just so lazy. In this case, though, it was the best argument to push back on yeah. that. Like you need some dynamism in the frame or you're just so going to fall asleep. And just like, yeah, you were falling asleep the whole time. Wow. So Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep gap. Well, yeah, good. Uh, just like, as that, an aside. Hold on. We need to talk about... Uh, no, Matt, go ahead. I was just going to say that it is genuinely baffling to me that Tom Hanks had the fucking temerity to think that he could play Ben Bradley after fucking Jason Robards made him one of the coolest characters in American film. Like, but Jason Robards as Ben Bradley in All the Presidents Met is the coolest fucking 10-inch player in the history of fucking movies. He's just swinging dick badass, this fucking news pimp. <laughs> and it's like, you're not going to compete with that. What, it is hubris to think you can. Yeah. So I think relevant to this is uh, the production background on this. And I think it's really interesting because Spielberg is definitely one of the most powerful people in Hollywood. He can basically do whatever he wants. And usually that means producing things at the highest level of his quality. Uh, so the background with this film is that this script uh, from a first-time screenplay writer who had done some production stuff on a few TV shows and a few movies, including, including Rain Over Me. Uh, really, wow. writer of this work. Really, over what me. was yes. his job? He, one of her four credits. One of them. She is was her. the Sandler Wrangler. This screenplay lands on Spielberg's desk. This isn't precisely right, but the broad strokes are correct. I'm sure there are film nerds out there who know the story backwards and forwards better than me. But the screenplay There's post lands, heads out yeah, yeah. there. Po- the real post heads. Uh, the screenplay lands on Spielberg's desk right as he's finishing shooting Ready Player One, his huge blockbuster that's coming out later this year. Which he, we will also probably do an episode about. Yes. Hell yes. Uh, he likes it so much and knows from his view that this is the moment to do this movie, uh, a movie mm-hmm. like this. Yeah. He gets a break from going into post-production from Ready Player One and puts this whole movie together in like five months. Like he green, mm-hmm. like the whole project is a go in like May, and they're shooting in like July and August, and wow. it's out by November, December, yeah. and ready for Award the Oscars. Season. And you can tell because yep. it's for the first time almost ever, you can feel really feel Spielberg like resting on his laurels and just being like, I'm fucking Spielberg. I can do these this shit in my sleep. I wouldn't say for the I'll, first I'll say time. For the ever. first time, have you seen The Lost World? Yeah. But well, that's like uh, rumor has it that he directed that movie on the phone from like a different state. Like, no, but but as you say, it is you can tell. You yeah, can he's tell. like he's nothing. About it's on autopilot. It's uh, on autopilot for sure. It feels like it's on autopilot. And that's and what's even, so. Well, sorry. Even the casting of this, I would say, is a indication of uh, yeah, that. I want to talk about that. Literally every role is a huge celebrity great actor and it's totally unnecessary because and it, to me it speaks to him being like I'm fucking throwing this movie together who do I got in my Rolodex anybody will do will come in if I ask them to and so you have uh, Alison Brie in like a incredibly thankless 
a shapeless role. Yeah, it's Catherine Graham's daughter. Yeah. She's just on the couch like, nothing, but gee, I don't know, Ma. Did you really Sarah Paul Melinda like Johnson? Lines. Anyway, I think the production to this is, is interesting and telling, and that's my... Uh, <laughs> yeah. but my here's, but Alison let's, Brie let's, showing up in a, a formless, shapeless, thankless role in this and the disaster artist. Yeah, that's true. That's her, um, that's her gig. But no, no, actually, I, I want to I bring this back to like, okay, so like we, we've taken you up to like where the, sort of the action in the movie starts, but I think we need to talk about like the two figures and the two stars that are this movie. It's about Catherine Graham and Ben Bradley, played by Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. Like, mm. this is the first time they've ever been in a film together. Like, they're sort of like Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep are both like the the actor and actress that is like mo- like the most acclaimed and beloved in that kind of awards yes. middle they are the kind sanctified. Of like, yeah, they really are like an elite tier of people where their their involvement in a cultural product makes it transcend conventional entertainment. And it's like, no longer just a, a capitalist product. It is a product that is an advertisement for the system itself. It is the it is the items that say this is why this is worth it as an enterprise because we embody these values that we want to see propagated and that's why we need to have this 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 industry. I want to be clear, like I'm not just like needlessly shitting on Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks. Both of them have been in good movies and are capable of doing good performances. I think would we all agree mm-hmm. with that? Yeah, yeah. Forrest Gump. <laughs> But it really does seem like, again, like I think the theme to this movie is that there, it was phoned in in a way that expected, and I think correctly so, that no matter what they did or really how they played it, it was like an important movie. And yes. them starring in it is part of that exactly. importance. It yeah. is, the whole point of this movie is to just to say who we are in the age of Trump, what the importance is of a free press, and then also reflectedly Hollywood and, and mass entertainment, what they give to us. So the people, the hogs, the fucking pigs who've started to turn on us and no longer trust us, let them know, hey, you idiots, we have your best interests at heart. Yeah. And it really does reflect the broadest and deepest and most harmful trend in popular culture in the last decade, which is the growing, the creeping belief that the deficit of quality of a work, whether it be storytelling or craft or thematics or aesthetics or anything, can be filled with good politics mm. that if you have the right intentions and you're promoting the right idea you don't have to give your best it doesn't have to be that good right. and that is what this movie is. it is a phoned in lowest denominator thing the kind of thing that somebody who really who really took pride in their work would never feel like was they would be ashamed to put this out but they're not because they feel like well if it's not good who cares it's important and importance has overcome any kind of standard of quality in entertainment. I just want to be another thing I want to make absolutely clear in our discussion of this movie. It may seem like we don't like it, but I want to make again 100% clear this doesn't extend to the performances of David Cross or Bob Odenkirk. Very good. Uh which I you know, I like I said I endorse 100%. Um yeah, I want to say that one nice thing we'll say about the movie, David and Bob great work. However, uh for the viewers of this movie, if you like this movie, you should be eligible to be euthanized by a vote of your family. You would have to be one of the dullest people alive to watch this movie and not only think it was like really good but profound and you know touches some part of your soul. You're like a you're like a sick dog just wandering around. You're a danger to your family. Well, as Matt said about the the politics of the movie, which maybe we don't even need to talk too much about because they're so boring. It's just such boilerplate kind of liberal norms and uh, freedom of the press uh, bromides. But um, I will say that there were a lot of parts where 
I, I don't know if it was the use of cliche that made the politics worse or vice versa, that the politics were so bad they just rested on cliches, but there's a lot of making sure the boys can come home and like we've our boys are dying and like never obviously a mention of any Vietnamese who are dying. And <laughs> yeah. Also, uh, well, that's main, realistic in like the, the milieu is, that they're you know, portraying. Of, I mean, like, yeah, it is in the same a way, way we talked about Iraq, despite the millions of people that died. It, it is. It, 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 that's true that it is like that. Though those people really are like that. But the film has ob- obviously the opportunity to make a, a, a different point if it wants to somehow. And also uh, the, the chief crime and the chief Injustice that they're uncovering is not really the war; it's that they lied yes. about the war. It's they lied. Keeps going, keeps going back to they lied, and then they lied here, and then they're like, you know, in rooms doing the news, like looking through lies. Like I just found another lie. Like, My God, there's news lies all over the place. Ring like, the lie bell, and it's it's exactly it's just like that's what's so outrageous is not that we killed four million Vietnamese; is that we lied about. When we yeah. should have stopped yeah. doing it, or how? If we only have they done told it. us the truth about killing these Vietnamese, so, it would have been fine. So that's pretty fucking aggravating when you're watching yeah. it. Up. And that's the other thing is, and and this relates to the the framing around the Washington Post that's so obviously problematic from the fact that you know it was actually the fucking New York Times that actually fucking cra- cracked the case and and we're the first to broadcast it, which is like. This is such a weird, like, we- a parenthetical way of looking at it. Like, why are you out here in the periphery? What a weird take yeah, on it. Um, and it's really, it just seems to me like because you have Catherine Graham as a character that you can use, which you wouldn't have with the New York Times. And it's like, and that means that the whole ha- second half of the movie, which has higher stakes than the first, all the time I'm still wondering, okay, they lose this case, the New York Times, uh, the Washington Post goes bankrupt. Oh, no, then we'll never get a, ma- a newspaper that will help sell the Iraq war and then get, <laughs> and then get bought by a fucking slave-owning Dracula like Jeff Bezos. Um, it's well, like, here, how much here, worse here, would the future be than what we have? Given the, uh, given the percentage of Vietnam's population that we killed, this movie is akin to if no one had no one had declared war in germany they were just left to do the holocaust uh they do it for until like let's say 1952 and then eventually they stop but you know over time they uh they become less nazi nazi means to be uh you know calm down with the armbands the moderates of the party yeah. take over and then in the 70s they like make a movie about uh the people who took over der stürmer and it's not they wrote, they publish a story that's not even about how the Holocaust was bad. It's just like, hey, Eichmann lied, yeah, and also that the Holocaust continued for three more years after they published the story. But again, as Matt said, if it was a good movie, you know, who you can make you can. Make it's true. It's just so lazily made that all you can focus on is just the big fat fucking slices of but, ideology but, but, that are just handed it, off for I, I mean in, in practice the movie is like watching it, it's like if they hired a like a very ambitious director to record a shareholders meeting you are in shareholders you're literally meetings going the half the movie is shareholder meetings well, those are the stakes of the film at least one of the stakes of the film as laid out is that Catherine graham uh who inherited the paper from her dead husband something of that nature she is uh convinced by the all-male board <laughs> to uh, issue stock and uh, therefore put the papers somewhat at the will of the market. And this comes into play later in the film, obviously, in the discussion about whether or not to publish the Pentagon Papers. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, but, sure. but, before, but like before the paper goes public, 
like all they do before are like stories that Donald Trump would run if he had a newspaper. Right. They're like reporting on Nixon daughter Nixon's daughter's wedding and shit. It wasn't it wasn't like, oh, we have this great journalistic enterprise that's gonna be diluted by public ownership. It just on a whim the fucking news queen decides that they're gonna do a story and it's like, oh well the Well what ha- well, what that's the what, uh, well, yeah, what happens they don't even fucking break. Well no no, the no what happens in the- of the film is that the Washington Post is depicted here as this backwater local publication right, right. there's this pressure to make it into a society paper and this one female reporter bristles at that and suddenly they have the biggest story in decades yeah. well what happens is okay how does it exactly shake out like they, they they understand that the new york times reporter neil sheehan who would go on to write what uh bright, one shining, bright shining lie, lie like uh, the one of the you know foundational yeah. books about the uh the, Zat, the, you know, the McNamara and the you know the right up there with the best and the brightest. Yeah, about, the like, Vietnam goof. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like they send a guy to New York to like just try to spy to see what they have. They they have a and then another big part of the movie is Catherine Graham's personal relationship with Robert McNamara, right, right. as and, and Bradley's by, relationship with Kennedy. Yeah, yeah. The incestuous nature of this ruling and class. like uh, they yeah. literally were all brother and sister and fucked each other. <laughs> We mean that literally. Well, it's intimated that Bradley <laughs> was engaged in some orgy on Kennedy's yacht. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, and also that Barbara, know. that uh, Catherine Graham got tag teamed by McNamara and LBJ. They really strongly intimated uh, very intimate relationships between those three people. I didn't oh, pick man. up on that. At oh, all. totally. Oh, man, to be totally. in that room. Fucking hot. <laughs> oh, so, the smell of brill cream in the air. Uh, brill cream in newsprint. Ooh, oh, yes. God. I'm edging right now. So uh, the New York Times goes to press first with the revelation that there was this contemporaneous to every public statement that the government and the, or Department of Defense or the White House made in the Kennedy and Johnson administration about the Vietnam War. At the same time, there was this whole secret counter history that goes back all the way to like the 1950s yeah. mm-hmm. that, is the, that was commissioned by the Department of Defense and carried out by the Rand or the, the Rand Corporation was involved in it or they, they had, had access a, They held to a it. copy. It was done they by held, the, def- yeah, the they held Defense a copy Department. Of it and like I guess it was like for for future study yeah. yes. about like you know what had happened, but the, what, what not the, to what do? Is, actually, what is interesting about the Pentagon Papers, which the movie I don't think really made clear, is that this was the true imperial history of the United States' involvement mm-hmm. in Indochina, mm-hmm. like from soup to nuts, the entire thing, and all of the like the actual reality of like how grimy and nasty the work of empire really is. Mm-hmm. That was all. Bit kept out of light. Yes, it was all completely kept from the public. Whether these things would have made a huge difference on public opinion, probably. You got to figure they would. Um, There's certainly people, things people needed to know to be able to a- a- evaluate what was going on there. I mean, like the the, the thing, the the takeaway from all from the the Post and the Times publishing this was that the government knew essentially that the war was unwinnable by right. about 1965. Mm-hmm. They thought they could, you know, throw more troops and bomb their way out of it to force the North Vietnamese to the table. <laughs> yeah, but not to get anything other than a, 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 a what a they had sta- already stalemate. Yeah, exactly. Like they didn't think it would be a situation where they could. A, achieve their objectives i will say i mean the 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 story of the pentagon papers and daniel ellsberg is a very good one Mm -hmm. and i would recommend uh i think a very good documentary that was made about ellsberg called the most dangerous man in america which is i think a good and very interesting movie about like the the, bit of a hyperbolic name isn't it the most dangerous (laughs) yeah that's what they called him yeah it's not like that was a quote it's not like he called himself that (laughs) 
It wasn't a rap it's album. Like it wasn't a, a mixtape, Virgil. You didn't get a leather jacket with that on the back of it. I'm sorry. Hey, can I get a coffee for the most dangerous man in the world? More dangerous than evil Knievel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, Ellsberg never jumped Snake River Canyon. It's true. <laughs> um, so at some point, like, so, so Bradley and Catherine Graham know this. Catherine Graham, through her personal connection with McNamara, McNamara. and Bradley Big for Dick his Bobby. Just, for his just... Because his dick's so hard for the news, and then eventually they like they get in a shoebox about a thousand papers, uh, pages of the Pentagon Papers. Mm-hmm. Right, they Bob don't Odenkirk. steal yeah. though. They don't, yeah, it's given to them originally. By, they get it from Ellsberg. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bob gets Bob it from Odenkirk right. uh, uh, tracks down Ellsberg. The historical they, character. Yes, Bob. Because they. Had, <laughs> hey, when this is all over, we should start a sketch comedy show. <laughs> Washington Post reporter Bob Odenkirk had worked at the Rand Corporation with Ellsberg, knew him to be dissatisfied with the war effort and by its public face, and figured him as the most likely culprit. And as he says, so he contacted him and got access to and as he says 4,000 the, pages. As he says in the movie, uh, rumor is he's gone dove pretty hard. And another thing is that he did go dove. And the real Daniel Ellsberg also ended up becoming very good friends with Noam Chomsky at the yeah. time. Disappointing that he didn't make a cameo in this movie. That's some bullshit. You know, oh. either as himself or uh, being played by um, Paul Giamatti. Yeah, that would have been pretty sweet. <laughs> but here's who did make a cameo. Richard Nixon fulminating his with his back turned to the his, those are real I like that. Those are real audio. I yeah, like I that choice. So, yeah. they, they portrayed Nixon as... Uh, a, a Nixonian figure in the windows at night of the White House, and then they just played over it the real Watergate tapes of yeah. him being, oh, oh goddamn Washington Post, they're sleeking over there. We gotta yeah. hang them all up. Yeah. And he was right. He was right. They should have, <laughs> whatever they had to do to all of those people. So through a lot of um, ham-fisted and, uh, and boring intrigue, you get to the point where they're going to publish it, but then the those legal... Are, right. well, there's the, so there's the New an York, injunction. Right. So the New York Times originally broke the story, and the government received yeah. an unprecedented injunction from continuing to publish this story, which gave Bradley and the Post a window yeah. uh, to not only break the story themselves, or continue the story, rather, mm-hmm. but also to earn the... to build the profile of this publication, to earn its esteem, which, and as well, and as well on a personal level, to uh, in some way atone for right. his uh, uh, closeness to Kennedy. Jack Kennedy. Yeah. Which means that in that section of the film, your emo- rooting interests have you rooting for Nixon to continue to suppress the First Amendment. You're rooting for them to keep that injunction so that the Post can steal a march on him. Nixon appears, Nixon and his administration appears this this kind of malignant force that but you're rooting never, for you're him really so that the washington post this is, can this stay is, in the game this is the 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 these are, this is the the setting that they're in this is the this is the death star and they live under its shadow but Here, what it here's, means no, is here's, that- here's something interesting there's an interesting moment in the film where uh catherine graham goes to see mcnamara and she this is when she like finally confronts him and she's just like I've seen the papers. Like, how could you lie? My own son was over there. Or, yeah. like, you know, he, he's back now. Thank God. But, like, you know, like, you knew this at the time that he was over there. And he's sort of like, well, you know, well, okay. Like, you know, it's easy for you, the press. And, like, they have this sort of back and forth. And then she's like, you know, Bob, you've always been, like, a, my close friend and confidant. Like, you know, what would you do? And he's like, I wouldn't publish it because, you know, Nixon is a bad guy. 
Like, he's gonna you know, fuck your shit up. Like you know, Nixon. Like like you know, he's not like the Johnson or Kennedy administration. Like he's got bad guys around him. He's got Colson and like you know the creep and G- Haldeman. We heard about Haldeman. Yeah, the dozen pimps. <laughs> yeah, um, but what? And like that's certainly true. The people around Nixon were all, all awful, yeah. just just grimy, disgusting thugs in every sense. And thugs in every Playboys. sense. However, but like this idea that like the movie gives McNamara. I think way too much humanity. Oh, it's just like, well, here's the thing: it's McNamara like, literally is one of the greatest monsters. Yeah, in American the Johnson history. and Kennedy administration. This was Operation Rolling Thunder. Yeah, yep. They had like as they as they do say in the movie, the Nixon administration is just going along with it. All the real evil yes. and lies were done by the Johnson and Kennedy administration, mm-hmm. and now Nixon was, of course, incredible in an incredibly cynical and evil way escalating this war and continuing to lie about it mm-hmm. out of fear of being seen to lose a war. Mm-hmm. Well, what parallel well, what, what what fucking parallel do we see here? It's the same Decent pile interval. of it's the same yep. pile of bodies, but one of the guys just happens to be meaner to the press. Exactly. The the parallel between the Obama and Trump White oh, House shit. Here yes, is that's very totally true there. in yeah. that like oh, the Obama White House, you know, they they had got you know, the nice smart guy, competent people yes. like the McNamara's, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's the same fucking Whereas principle the Trump at, at administration work is just a bunch of sleazy con men and hustlers yes. and like actual like teeth ground down to the gums like buzz cut military psychos yeah absolutely it's the same thing but all that, that matters is how nice they are to the news group. right because like it's it honestly the way they treat it is is that the re- revelations about kennedy and johnson really are water under the bridge mm-hmm. the real threat the real is nixon is, is the, the threat re- to yeah. our decorum and our norms it's yeah. not the body count as the we don't have to talk about it just a second but as the end of the movie the, the way it leaves you sort of suggests is like if you thought things were bad you know this is the real well shit. yeah well, we'll, well, we'll, well also that. that we now are in a position to get rid of the bad president yep. Yep. and that to fucking resistance people who are traumatized by Trump as president, the the I, the movie ends with a very clear message: we have the power to end a presidency, yep. and we are on your side against this uh, oaf monster. I want to get there, but I this wanna... yeah, this is like the uh, hallucination, uh, the penultimate scene in Brazil for liberals. <laughs> <laughs> That's We're just staring at the <laughs> Oh, you mean he goes away? <laughs> uh, I, I want to get to the end of the movie, but like before then, like. The real action in the movie, is, if of course, you could call it, if you that. call it that, is about like they have this giant like Bob Odenkirk goes to meet the real Bob Odenkirk met with Daniel Ellsberg in a hotel yep. room, and Ellsberg gave the future star of Mr. Show <laughs> and Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad like three giant boxes full of the yeah. secret DOD stuff, and he history. gave Ellsberg the Fairsley sketch. <laughs> <laughs> He gave him the Fairsley promise that they would publish the Pentagon Papers. That's the Fairsley difference. We'll publish every page of your stolen government documents. And so, you know, McNamara in the in the one of the later scenes has to uh, take the position that you know uh, we're still in the war. We we can't publish this as a historical document. Whereas Ellsberg, I think, in that scene tells Bob Odenkirk straight out, "We're there. Ten percent of the reason why we're there is for the South Vietnamese. Twenty percent is to stop communism, and seventy percent is because we can't lose the war. We have to keep fighting. the we war. We got to keep our dicks reputation for fucking good. And yeah. you know, just out of sympathy. That's a real Line. Out of uh, sympathy <laughs> to you know, we probably should have never left. We probably should still honestly. Be there. If, if we were still there, honest, there'd yeah. be no ISIS. Yep. There'd be no Islam. Frankly, well, we would rule the right. world in a fucking in a in a christened, new Christendom. We Most were we were two decades away from winning. Most importantly, we would not have gotten owned. 
No. And yeah, that's the most right. important American thing. foreign policy is driven by the desire to never be owned. And that is sort of an actual moment of drama. I mean, basically everyone in this room didn't like it except for Virgil. So Virgil, maybe you feel differently. But that was a moment where, you know, I could feel myself getting swept up in the inertia of the movie finally. And it's it's a well-acted scene by Odenkirk. And it's, it's hitting home the stakes and everything. And then it all just comes crashing down immediately again because you're thrown back into more rooms oh, with Meryl Streep oh. talking about her inheritance. Oh, talking to her daughter in a scene in their bedroom that lasted a rough estimate seven the, okay, like the, the, well, that's the a bit later. The, the, yeah. like the, no, like the, the kind of like third act, like climb, the real action in the movie takes place in two yeah. rooms. <laughs> One is Ben Bradley's house where they're actually, they have like, Eight out. They have this gigantic trove of documents with no page numbers, and they got to go through it. Yeah. And they have like ten hours to to hit the press. The camera's kind of bouncing. Bruce says here that Johnson and then, and then taking along parallel to this is, yeah. so, is Catherine Graham is throwing a party for some awful rich person who's yeah. another one of her friends. Yeah. Oh, Countess Mangalot, so good to see you. Felix <laughs> said at one point, like to about. Three quarters of the way through the movie, he just called Catherine Graham the news queen. Queen of the news. <laughs> queen of the news. And it's done. I mean, that is her function. Yeah. She just goes around to different tea parties wearing a formless silk well, gown. Here's, here's the funny part. She's made to be the hero of the movie, but Felix asked at several points in the movie, I think, a very good question, which is, what does she do for the watch? <laughs> she has lunch with someone. She, like, she goes to one meeting and she answers one phone call. It reminds me about in the Trump thing where they're like, oh, he calls an executive talk where he's just sitting on the toilet drinking Diet Coke and <laughs> making phone calls to Maggie Haberman. That's her. Yeah. She just is yeah. Trump. Like, yeah. Her she, entire day is she goes to his yeah. like one sunlight-soaked yeah. room and is and yeah. like, hello, is this the Countess? I yeah. would love to see you in Gaston. <laughs> but, yeah. And then goes to another room and you know ta- talks to some fucking Habsburg dipshit whose jaw falls off into the fondue pot. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, I forgot I own a newspaper. But that's yeah. the that's the problem dramatically of making your hero a a, a millionaire mogul. Like there's yeah. really and I even if you're more swept up in it, like say you were Virgil, you just it's really hard to feel <laughs> like you care about well, the financial situation of this millionaire. Fine, fine, but they do solve that. I mean, you've identified a central problem, but they do try to solve that mm-hmm. by suggesting the reason why she's not more forceful in the first two thirds of the movie mm-hmm. is because she's in a man's industry. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's always surrounded. She's yeah. always wearing her, so her dressing gown and surrounded by men wearing bow ties and yeah. vests. So oh, those cool alpha men in so the boardroom. Once again, Pluto. Autocracy is excusable if it is gender equal. Yeah, that, that, that is the that story. Is the yeah, no, there's this. Scene. It's that we're supposed to care that she keeps her fucking well, absolutely unearned chunk of this company that we see from every example. She is a parasite too. She takes all this profit from. It could be a cooperative business. She's a fucking parasite. We're supposed to care about her fucking portfolio. Now we've now the main theme of the movie is of course. Freedom of the press and the importance of the press to uh, as a check on government power, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we've now just touched on like the second minor but still very present theme in this movie, especially in the Catherine Graham character, which I think is even more problematic than its veneration for an institution like the Washington Post. Is there's a very strong kind of uh, 
hate to say it for lack of a better word, kind of like Hillary Clinton, uh, yes. sort of women in the workplace. Yeah, like uh, you know, she persisted. Yeah, like, uh, second wave feminism uh, all the kind way. of theme in, in this movie. Like, there's a scene early on in in one of the riveting um, shareholder meeting scenes, Ooh. in which you know, Catherine. It's like they're. It, it's more subtle, but like. It, Catherine Graham has all her notes and like you know bullet yeah. points ready to like you know give to this boardroom full of male executives, yeah. and like you know like the room sort of shifts to her and looks to her like you know how do you answer that you're you're telling me you want to spend this money doing the news instead of yeah. you know uh, doing more profitable things and like she's sort of like goes to speak and like her hands are trembling she like freezes for like a half a second or something and then her like her number two. Fritz, something Fritz. or other, played by the playwright and actor Tracy Letts. Yeah. Uh, he just sort of pipes up and begins like, immediately. Again. If I could be sexist for a moment, madam, <laughs> you know, and, and says and then like gives the speech or like bullet. She he does the presentation that she had talks prepared. over her. Yeah, but well, you know what's you, funny? But it wasn't like it wasn't clear that I think like I read that scene. No, as, she, like, he saved her. He saved her because she Cause she froze. was frozen. Like and he came yeah. to her de- yeah. her aid in a way, but was still she needed yeah, to she find had, her voice. Yeah, she had yeah. a new stroke. Right. Well, I'm sorry that you found the IPO scenes boring. Uh, I did enjoy another film about an IPO. It was called The Social Network. <laughs> no, I mean, like like we said before, there's a way to make all this stuff. Because like you say, It's easy Virgil, to make this stuff interesting. There's, there's so many good movies. Sometimes you like Scorsese directed this movie. Imagine what the IPO scenes would have been. Those bow ties would have been oh. spinning. There would have been nude, nude chippies running Lewis around. Had directed oh my! Jerry Lewis directed it. They're spraying seltzer at each other. There's He's another, doing his developmentally disabled voice. <laughs> There's another really uh, heavy-handed scene at the end where, in attempting to make this like a feminist character or movie, it just veers into ridiculousness. Where they've gone to court and the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, and they're leaving the uh, the courthouse, and the male uh, lawyer is like giving their statement and all the male reporters and onlookers are watching him in awe as Meryl Streep, who's a millionaire mogul. So I'm not sure why she's like ignored by the press, but she's, she kind of slinks around the corner, but all the uh, Marxist radical protesters are ba- basically saluting this, this millionaire this, mogul yeah, this be- Cat- just because they're all women. Catherine just- Graham is like walking down the steps of the Supreme court ignored by the press, but it's like this sort of tracking shot like from the side and she's walking down and like she goes down the steps but like on the steps watching her in awe is just like a row of just like women. Just women. Just, just women. women. Just sort of like they Who- should, they, all of us out of nowhere there's just like yeah, that yeah. there wasn't a slow clap was really out of place. Yeah. I was like, yeah. where's yeah. the fucking slow clap right now? And, and that, that, that would be one heavy-handed... That's heavy a missed handed, opportunity. That's why I took off half a star. That would be heavy-handed <laughs> to begin with. But the fact is, all those people are supposed to be like crunchy protesters who want to overthrow the American system and everything. And it's like, they probably wouldn't really care about this mogul heiress. Well, they're, no. well, they're, they're they started protesting. out as protesters outside, as anti-war hippie protesters. Yeah. But then after Catherine Graham sat quietly through that Supreme court yeah, and hearing and she walked out they all put their bras back on and washed their hair <laughs> and said I'm going to law school they all became pro news protesters yeah, well yeah, yeah they're the great seat in front of the Supreme Court <laughs> where like you know these people are all there to protest the you know decades long uh, imperial looting and genocide carried out by this country in Indochina, but they're all holding, they're all going. We want the news. <laughs> we want the news. <laughs> there really are signs. Bring us there the news. Are news. <laughs> it's like news. 
One, two, three, news! <laughs> you, know, you know, look, they say representation is important in movies, and I finally saw myself in a major blockbuster. Also, 23 <laughs> fucking I'm news! I'm one of those people. Give me the fucking news. <laughs> Blast a 30, 30 printing press rope onto my face. We should, news. We, we the highlight of the film is there's a scene late in the movie where Odenkirk comes in with a big paper bag, and he's like, you'll never guess. And Matt goes, got a bag of news for you here. And but, then it yeah. turns out it fucking was. <laughs> it was a, a fucking fu- Tom Hanks goes into Catherine Graham's <laughs> office with the bag Odenkirk gave him and just slaps out eight editions of every paper yep. in the country going because they, they all followed, followed your lead, Kay. And they all it agreed was, to print it. Right. It was a bag of newspapers that syndicated the Post article yeah. uh, fulfilling the uh, I think something Bradley said at the very beginning of the film which is that they will follow our lead if we make yeah. news. They will stand with us. It was a dramatic Catherine, you're going to be a news mother again. But the, uh, so the rising action in the film, uh, the uh, not the exciting boardroom parts, mm-hmm. was uh, they're putting together the Pentagon Papers. They've got a tight deadline, and the lawyers show up. Bradley has called Played by them. Jesse Plemons. Yep. And Zach Woods from Silicon Valley. Also from the Breaking Bad universe. Mm. Uh, I like to think the movie is an extension of the Breaking Bad universe. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, what if after Nixon resigned... In disgrace, he had to go to witness protection and change his identity. Ooh. So yeah. he marries this woman in a, in, a, in a suburban town and has three kids yep. and plays the role of a goofy dad. I got my laugh out. <laughs> So Bradley is uh, dead set on publishing this article. No, yeah, and the uh, the lawyers are saying, "Hold the phone. You, you can go to prison. This uh, can be construed as treason. Uh, there is an injunction on the Times, and the business, the bean counters, are saying." If you publish this, I mean, uh, the institutional investors will pull out. You right. lose all your money. Right. You can lose the paper. Yeah. And that's when everything comes to a head. And Catherine Graham has to make this, yep. this very personal decision yep. of what to do. She can't play yeah. the Hamlet act anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And she decides she did to the publish. Right thing. She decided to so, publish. Good credit to her. Although I should say that around the same time and what is not in the film is that in the U.S. Senate, Senator Mike Gravel from Alaska... <laughs> King yeah. uh, basically rendered the entire argument moot by reading the entire Pentagon Papers into the congressional record in the Senate, oh, which I rendered them public yeah. public yeah. public information. But yeah, it wouldn't have been as well read. If well, right, but also... He then tossed the giant boulder onto <laughs> yeah. the Senate floor. It was odd. Yeah. <laughs> but it just seems like it's interesting that they put so much import on publication of this because it validates the necessity of news yeah, yeah, yeah. when the whole fucking thing was superseded well, that's a, that's by actually, the brave decision but of don't, one motherfucking senator. That's actually a good point, senator. because like, this idea like, that like, the... How was that a brave decision compared to what Graham did at actual personal risk? Gravel had privilege... He, he could did. do that. He was very right, privileged. But the fact he that should he have checked did, that privilege. The fact that he did is still important because the idea that like it's oh, not sure, yeah. the media isn't the only check on power. Right, there's exactly. also people in <laughs> there's actually like actual politics. But either way, it always in Spielberg world, all of his movies about social change, and he makes a bunch that all of his movies are his movies are his historical dramas are a syllabus for American liberalism and Whig history. The idea that there are American values that have been fought for over time by 
people of good intentions and that they have won out thanks to America's durable democratic institutions. Ryan. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Amistad. Amistad. Uh, uh, Bridge of Spies. Uh, uh, Lincoln. All of that. And what always happens in Spielberg is these questions end up being resolved not by any of the decisions or actions of any of the heroes, but by some institution of state. The True. U.S. House of Representatives or the Supreme Court, both this and in Amistad and in fucking Bridge of Spies or that's a lower court. But it's the same thing of of our institutions will save us from our excesses. Yeah, but don't tell me you didn't get a lump in your throat when Bob Odenkirk put the news in the news tube and it went all <laughs> yeah. around to the homes yeah. across America. Uh, bad news, Kath. I skeeted in the news tube. <laughs> can, well, I, can I take a slightly contrarian point of view? Go for it. The movie is often critiqued as sort of a white savior story, but I actually think Amistad is another good movie. I enjoy Amistad. It's, I think it's I mean, good. Uh, uh, Hopkins, it's a way better performance from him as the U.S. president than Nixon. Don't at me. Uh, the, the, there's the end where they overturn it and then they like go the, like and the blow legal, up the slave. The legal like, courtroom stuff I yeah. thought was compelling. It was compelling. Uh, jo- the John Quincy Adams speech is really good. The scene at the end where the British blow up the slave fort and the guy goes... My dear Mr. Forsyth, the slave fort at Sierra Leone does not exist. I will not um, extend that to Saving Private Ryan, which I think is a terrible It's movie. fash. Uh, yeah. all, all, it's straight fascism fun. All, all I have to say Fam. about Amistad is, if that, fun. is, that movie is so good, how come I always get it mixed up with Amadeus? <laughs> <laughs> how come I always get it mixed up with Amelie? <laughs> <laughs> Both criticisms you can't ignore. Yeah. Um, so... Where does that leave us? So, like, they, they do publish the story. They do. They, yeah. You know, like, they, they go ahead. Uh, like I said, credit where it's credit due. Catherine Graham made the right choice. Yeah. And, and a sniveling piece of shit from the Justice Department named William Rehnquist calls yeah, them. Yeah, you're right. And threatens them with uh, jail if they, don't, if they do publish it. If you publish this, I'll die of throat cancer in 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> they go to the Supreme Court, and it's uh, on the bench together are Bradley and Graham and the, the New York Times editor. Abe Rosenthal, played by Michael Stuhlbarg. Yep. And, uh, you know, the, the, the newsmen are on the same team. And women. Yeah. News and, and newswoman. And newswoman. The news individuals are on the same team, and then you hear the... Uh, uh, what a marshal of the court or whatever say oye 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 yeah. and I was ready for a solid 30 minutes of legal <laughs> arguments yeah. and then it just cuts to them walking out of it and I thought that was one of the biggest <laughs> failures of the film because I don't know like if you saw Recount which I think is fair to compare this to because this was I would say about the caliber of a made for TV movie yeah. uh, Recount did a better job of, of discussing the Bush versus Gore oral argument. Yeah, they cut right to it. But then at the end, uh, Tom Hanks, who the whole movie is trying for like beyond his character, like a Humphrey Bogart type thing and or like an Edward G. Robinson type thing. He walks away with Meryl Streep and the news is like fluttering around the the, the giant news machine. And you think it's going to end and then you get a little uh, Easter egg for the true news heads out there. Mm. Oh, you're going to get some more news. Yeah. And it's seemingly like I'm not. It cuts to security guard walking down the hallway. Yeah. Putting Semtex in Power 7. (laughs) (laughs) That would be awesome. (laughs) Security guard walking down the hallway. Sees a door. Duct tape over the lock. What? Opens it. Uh Uh-oh. Wide shot. You can see flashlights in an office building at night. Some kind of crime. Phone call. Hi. Calling from the Watergate Hotel. Uh, I think think World War II just started. (laughs) 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 Delay. Glad I got to. Hold on to your butts. Yeah. 
Watergate just yeah. happened. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This was, news that is bad, was baby. seamless. The news is what's going to get us out of this one, guys. Yeah. That was seamless because this movie is the Rogue One to the new hope that is all God. the president's men. That's true. You're it really wrong. is. And just go right into that. <laughs> yeah. I want to go correct. and watch all the president's men yeah, right now watch just to see movie. how it matches up with yeah. the CGI Does security scene- guard uh, to the real security guard. At the very end, we're like, Nixon just goes through a room of journalists just cuts through dozens of them owns all of them oh that movie would be fucking awesome uh, and it's just like that was the moment I've been waiting for ever yep. since I saw all the presidents oh, man. Yep. Nixon has a new lightsaber in this movie yep. and you know to put to find yeah, I, I cut through a whole goddamn room at the labor department they're all Jews <laughs> <laughs> it chokes out. <laughs> yeah. And to, to put too fine a point on it, you see Nixon uh, in, in Nixon's last scene, and he's fulminating uh, against the Washington Post and saying, you know, no Washington Post reporter will yeah. ever step in the White House ever again, which is exactly what Trump did on the campaign trail, <laughs> that all the all the news organizations were in high dudgeon about this, yeah. about banning the Post, because the Post was unfair to him. Well, I think this gets to the larger point about the, I think, rather objectionable nostalgia of this movie and of the entire genre of these kinds of things, this boomer nostalgia. Because it's like, okay, this is an example uh, where uh, the press did the right thing, right? They stood up to power. uh, You know, they pissed off Nixon. Nixon's like, I don't ever want to, God, they're not allowed in church. They're not allowed in the White House. Yeah. And, you know, and then, like, and then he was brought down. Just a little bit later, mm-hmm. didn't stop him from winning re-election, of course. Uh, but um, Watergate brought him down, right? And then it gets to this whole thing where, like, ah, oh, you know, the Post they did the right thing, but like, what good is that to anyone who's born, you know, not after World War II, directly yeah. after World for our generation? Yeah. Why don't they do instead of a, a sequel? They should do a sequel to the Post called The Post Part Two, where the main character is Fred Hyatt. <laughs> and it's about the fucking run up to the war in Iraq, which of course, yeah, the, the, the Bush administration was like, we don't want any Washington Post journalists here. Fuck no, hell no. Yeah, oh. they fed them like fucking uh, like like know, foie gras geese. Yeah. yeah, like. And then the post, uh, the post three is Fred Hyatt meeting a bold new reformer, Mohammed bin Salman. Giving column space to Saudi propagandist uh, Nawaf Obaid in the Washington Post first in 2006 to brag that they were going to start ISIS, and then in uh, 2015 to brag about how uh, they're cleaning uh, they're cleaning up Yemen. Yeah, because the entire project, the entire nostalgia boomer project that that Spielberg exemplifies is to just hold up this broken standard yeah. of mid-century comedy and institutional legitimacy that no longer exists. Li- yeah. Liberal and say, institutional. Right, and say, look how, good institutional this, look how good this shit was. Look how great it was. With no effort to connect it meaningfully, well, okay, that's what that was. How do we make anything not like that now? Or, it's just or, like you're supposed to just look at it, and then, f- and then that has the effect of faultily making you think that the world still works that way, and or, it does not. Or really come to terms with how uh, evil that entire liberal order of was, course. considering yeah. that they planned, executed, and carried out the Vietnam yes. War in the first place. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. They present this polished, perfect vision of the mid-century liberal consensus and then just display it. Like, what, is that, what is the beneficial 
point of that? What 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 is what redounds to you to observe that other than them feeling incredibly smug to themselves that they embody these values? It's just purely self-expression because, okay, what do we do to make any of these fucking institutions meaningful in our lives? We live in broken versions of this world. How do we fix them? These movies offer you nothing. It's just pure nostalgia. It's huffing your own farts. It's like Felix said. It's the end of fucking Brazil. It's fantasy retreat. Uh, Here's the answer. Steven Spielberg, make the pod. I can't wait to bravely roll this up and shove it in the pod tube (laughs) when it's done. Let's cast it. So who, you know, everyone loves to do this with their friends. You know, who... Who who you are in the post? You know you max, max mix, it, mix and match it up with your group of friends. Uh, so I'm who, gonna say who do you want to be? I would say that Will is Catherine Graham. He's the socialite. Okay. He wears a, yes, yeah. he's got the same accent. He's yeah. got wears a podcasting gown. Yeah. Rather, yeah, you, you have yeah, her voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you inherited the podcast from your husband, who yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was also named Will Meneker. <laughs> he was on the first thirty episodes. <laughs> And then he died, and you replaced him. <laughs> um, accurate. I I guess maybe Matt could be. Who do you, is he? Is he Ben? I would say Matt would probably Ben, ben Brad. Brad. Hell yeah, I am. Because yeah. you're kind of you know Brad. You're you're ben so gruff. saucy, gruff. Yeah, I'm a yeah. lovable newsman who only cares about getting the news, yeah. folks. I would like to be the fat old guy who interrupts the woman. <laughs> <laughs> only thing I want to be. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Virgil. Uh, Virgil is uh, everyone who runs, maintains, and uses the giant intricate printing press apparatus. <laughs> no, oh, by no. the way, that was some of the coolest scenes in the movie. Watching the news machinery, watch them set the type and everything. I disagree. I think that he is uh, he is the Zach Woods lawyer. He's the guy saying, gee, I don't know about this, guys. Uh, is this right? Are we sure about this? Yep. We got to make sure that we're not in too much trouble here. Yep. That's I, you. No, no. I think I would be the uh, the business guy who tries to persuade Catherine to not publish the Pentagon Bradley papers. Whitford. And that's like when I say, guys, we cannot publish the N-word. We should not be doing this. This <laughs> yeah. is very bad for business. And, and then Will is like... I want to change everything. I want to change the world with the N-word in the newsletter. So coming back to where we started. Oh, I also have one last thing. Okay. Uh, Here's a way you could make this movie cool. Make it about a publication that really did change the world. That's right. Make the post, but it's called The Beak. I was gonna say, I was gonna say, Brendan was uh, Ellsberg because after he was fired from the show, he uh, leaked the group DM that uh, yeah. brought brought us down. Yeah, that would be dramatic, and and so, so the secret history of um. The, uh, that we've lied yeah. this entire time. Yeah, um, well, about really, our CIA yeah. contacts <laughs> and our FSB contacts, all of, all of that shit. Yeah, that we're doing both. The, our so Nazi what? contacts. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. After I, seeing yeah, it, I'm uh, now a little. I mean, man, it's a fucking. I, chore. I would say, driver's seat for Best Picture right now. I think the dark horse is probably Lady Bird. Yeah. Because like it, it does it's, feel it's, like it's, that kind it, of year. It, like the Paul, like like I, I hate to put it in this way because I think Greta Gerwig is very good and I hear very good things about this movie. But like it's going to be very hard not to give Best Picture to woman director, yeah. woman film, woman centered yep. film. And the thing is, is that the other votes, like the old school, ah, forget about that stuff. I want to see a picture. That's going to be split between movies like Dunkirk and The Post. There's no one lady movie. This, you know, I mean, there is one lady movie, you know, 
So I think it might be it. I think that's I, a good bet. I mean, you know, I have to say, if I was on the Academy, this is literally the only movie from this year I've seen. And <laughs> so, it's up for best picture. So I would have to vote for this one. This would be my only Just choice. Just wait until you see I, Tanya. What is that? The sequel to I, Robot? <laughs> <laughs> That's the end. Uh, that's the end of our the pod. Is when I come up with the greatest, greatest one two uh, joke of all time. Um. So, uh, that's the post. That's that the news. The post. That's post. That's 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 now we're post the post. Now Enjoy it's up post. to you to post. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy the news, folks. Uh, yeah, before what we, uh, news before to we you? bounce, this is the last episode before Matt and I will meet head to head this Friday at the Bell House. There are a handful of tickets still available. I have already done my uh, debate prep with my team with friend of the show, Shuja Hader. Shuja has played Matt in your... Chris in your Person. De- Chris uh, Person played Matt in the debate uh, prep? No, we didn't do a, uh, we didn't do a, a formal debate prep. But who I'm hoping who is to, going to play Matt in your... In your I'm hoping I can schedule it. I'm hoping I can schedule it Wednesday night, but we'll see. And who, I am doing... Who will be Matt, though? It's a scheduling thing. We'll see okay. who can do okay. it. I but. will be doing absolutely no preparation for this thing at all. <laughs> I want that to be really stressed. Everyone to know I am not doing it. I will write maybe down something on a piece of paper before I end for my opening statement. <laughs> Game's bad. But I am not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, I am not doing any Well, the thing is, Matt, you're this. in the position of essentially playing defense. Virgil is the one who is more mustering uh, a formal case. Here. I don't know. That's it right. all depends and, and on how you, we frame it. It'll be fun. We'll be there. But who, see, who see do you, you think's gonna win? Uh, we, uh, gonna, the, the audience. Uh, wait, how are you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the viewer. Boo, you, boo, the viewer win. Cop out. How are uh, like? I mean, are you doing it where you're? Are you gonna pull the audience before the debate no, starts? No, no, no. I'm saying, who do you think is going to make the well, best? Here's case. the thing. Like, what? Okay, like I think Virgil. I think you have the edge because I think you are generally defending a more popular position among the general population. However, I think there's a chance if you. I don't know how you're doing it. I don't know how, how Trev is setting it up. But I suspect if you poll the audience at the beginning, what is their position going in? And then after, I think Matt has a chance to make a very impression bite into that, into the, the number of people whose minds he may change. Um, but I suspect the majority will well, I'm, still I'm side with you. you. I'm saying you personally, and, and it's a debate, it's a subjective thing. Do you think you'll walk out of there and think, you know what, Matt was right and gaming's bad, or Virgil was right and gaming's good? Me personally, I mean, like this is going to sound like a push, but honestly, I, I don't really know, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it, to finding uh, out. I... I, I, I I feel like I'm I'm sympathetic to the idea that uh, video games are poison to the mind. However, I play them myself, but it's not so, not it's something that I I feel viscerally about the way Matt does. So I feel like I am a very much an undecided. Oh yeah, here. you're MLK's white moderate. Yeah. Exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, so you know my prediction. Um, you know, little fingered Game of Thrones. He famously said, uh, "Perception is reality," and. <laughs> No one gives a shit what either of you guys are going to say. It's about how you appear. And there are things working for both and against you guys. Like, Matt has a very confident physical posture, but also, like, for about 20 minutes of this recording, his belly was exposed. (laughs) (laughs) Shirt that was too short. Now, Virgil is very poised, but doesn't use his confident body language. But I think his poise can win out. 
unless he goes to the bathroom during the debate, which is a possibility. It's so a big I possibility. Will, I will also say I don't know who will win the perception contest, which is all debate is. That's but true. you are right. You are right. Matt is wrong. That's good analysis. So yeah, I think that about uh, that about does it for this that week, just, guys. That about news is up. <laughs> yeah, we are. That's all the news that's fit to pod. Mm. Oh, that's right. Brandon, great to have you back, buddy. Thanks. Hope to be back. Cheers, everybody. Boys, Bye-bye. let's go pause this news. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs>